0: Welcome back to Knocked Up, the podcast with Dr Ralia Liu from Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Ralia
1: Thank you. Welcome.
0: I'm just going to say it at the beginning of the podcast today. We always say at the end to visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and also to check us out on the socials at Women's Health Melbourne. Um, but just a reminder that those are resources that we have available all the time, especially because we don't have a new episode every day. Um, today we're going to talk about something that's been a little bit in the press. Well, certainly it's been on ABC. It's about a new paper that's been published about endometrial, endometrial scratching and how it impacts fertility. I think probably a good way to start is th- this has come out of having done research and some testing. So maybe if you want to explain to us the process of scientific research and testing and what would have been done.
1: So maybe a bit of background just on processes in general, um, in IVF but also in medicine in general and in science for that matter in general, what we do is we think of a hypothesis of a reason that a process may be helpful and then we test the hypothesis to see if it truly makes sense. And in the case of endometrial scratching, it's a procedure that's been done in IVF for some time And um, we've never really been as clinicians 100% convinced of its efficacy, of its usefulness uh, because there isn't really a a good understanding of the underlying hypothesis for why it would work. Um, But it's a process that was suggested and I can go into a little bit more about how that came about. But it was a process that was suggested that it might have a positive effect, particularly in women who had had multiple failed IVF treatments. So the reason that injuring the lining of the uterus or the endometrium in itself was thought to potentially be helpful in some cases was the observation that when women had suffered longstanding infertility and IVF failure... And subsequently, their gynaecologists, kind of, you know, pulling their hair out, trying to think what to do to help these patients, um, underwent further investigations, including a hysteroscopy, which is a look inside the uterus with a camera and a clean-out of the endometrium. It was noticed that there was a higher likelihood of success for women who underwent that procedure compared to doing nothing. And the difficulty in analysing that is that, you know, there are multiple potential ways that that procedure could help so one way that it might help is if there were any abnormal cells of the endometrium that the clean out kind of got rid of such as pathology like endometrial hyperplasia which is quite a common pathology particularly in women who've had things like polycystic ovarian syndrome whether it was the physical injury to the endometrium itself and the calling in of the healing process of the immune system which is the theory behind endometrial scratch whether it was the fact that we use fluid looking inside the uterus with the camera and give the fallopian tubes a mighty good flush Mm -hmm. at the same time that we do a hysteroscopy which
0: we've spoken about in other episodes yeah and
1: which i'm quite a big believer of in terms of tubal flush and there's been quite a lot of evidence supporting that process so the question that came to mind was is injuring the lining of the uterus in some way helpful and several years ago there was quite an interesting but small study of about 340 odd women um, who had undergone IVF and had been unsuccessful and it was found that particularly in the group that had undertaken multiple embryo transfers without success there was an improved um, clinical pregnancy rate in those who'd undergone endometrial scratching compared to those who hadn't. And, and that's really where the great interest took off from and subsequently there have been other trials looking at other groups of women, particularly IVF naive women, women who've never had any IVF cycles and have failed to show a benefit for endometrial scratching and it's been looked at outside of IVF in the context of women trying to get pregnant naturally and with IUI, which is artificial insemination, intruterine insemination and that um, had a Cochrane review on that subject of women who were, undertaking pregnancy or trying to get pregnant and having difficulty undertaking natural intercourse and IUI and and that came out kind of uncertain as to whether endometrial scratch was, was indeed helpful. And there was a separate Cochrane review looking at all the trials that had been done for IVF patients and whether that was helpful and that looked at all of the different trials independently and kind of tried to average the results um, and they did see a benefit for women undertaking endometrial scratch. But the caveat was that the trials themselves were criticised, that they weren't fantastic design, that they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't fantastic quality trials. So while there was a different shown, we weren't that confident that it was real. And then comes the most recent paper, which was some um, really interesting um, Again, the most recent trial, which has been published in a really fantastic journal in the um, British Journal, um, has um, shown that they looked at about 1,300 women. Again, they weren't selecting women who'd undertaken IVF and failed. They were just looking at women who had um, been undertaking IVF in general. And they randomised these women, um, half of them towards an arm for endometrial scratch. So they, they had an endometrial scratch and half of them to the arm of doing nothing. And what they showed following up these women, there's really a very similar pregnancy rate in both arms. So certainly and categorically, I think, and this was a well-conducted, well you know, kind of high-quality trial. And I think certainly it's put to bed, the idea of doing endometrial scratches as a a procedure. Just
0: just, just for the sake of it. It's not something you need for just the sake of it. It's when you've tried a few things, it's something else to try.
1: Yeah, and personally I've never used it as a standard measure in IVF Um, and not many people would because it's an uncomfortable procedure.
0: So yes, tell us about the procedure.
1: So when you have an endometrial scratch, I mean technically that, it's just injuring the lining of the uterus um, and it's, it's been done as a procedure either in conjunction with another procedure like a hysteroscopy or it can be as a standalone procedure. Most, most clinicians who would attempt that would use what's called an endometrial pipel biopsy um, and what um, that is, it's a little kind of suction tube It can be introduced through the cervix, through the neck of the womb, into the uterus itself and you can use it to agitate and suck out some cells from the lining of the uterus or the endometrium and um, that process is pretty uncomfortable. So as a woman what you'd experience is you'd have a speculum exam. Okay, so this is, I was going to say, is this a bit like a smear? You're totally aware, you're not under any painkillers? All of that except it's not really like a smear. It was. It's much more uncomfortable than a smear. So with a pap smear you have the speculum uh, instrument which looks a little bit like a duck's bill and it enters the vagina and opens so the doctor can see your cervix um, and the doctor just uses a little brush to sample the cervix very um, superficially mm-hmm. whereas with an endometrial biopsy... and These are done for many reasons. Sometimes I do them to further investigate abnormal bleeding. For example, when you're worried about endometrial cancer, that might be a reasonable office procedure if you've got a fairly um, low index of suspicion. Mm -hmm. Um, What you do is you put an instrument on the cervix called a tenaculum, which gives a big pinch and can make a woman feel quite uncomfortable, sometimes nauseous, sometimes a little bit faint. And then you put a little tube through the cervix, which again can feel... Um, really uncomfortable like a really bad cramp so certainly it's not something that is an enjoyable procedure and given the benefits of that procedure have always been you know really kind of unclear um, it's not something that you'd ever put women through as a routine part of IVF I mean certainly unless you had a really good reason for doing it there's there's no reason to do an endometrial scratch routinely and there never has been.
0: So how do you determine who should have it and where it will be the most effective?
1: Well, look, you know, it's very difficult because without clear evidence from randomised controlled trials showing a really good benefit, um, you know, we we tend to think of these as last, you know, kind of measures when patients have had unexplained poor outcomes and that can happen by chance. Mm -hmm. But it is also often the fact that, and unfortunately it's still the fact today in 2019 that the complexities of infertility are still incompletely understood even by the best trained doctors and our knowledge is always expanding. There are still pathologies that cause infertility that we don't have fantastic tests for and that we don't fully understand and so there will always be patients who you do every test under the sun and you still don't really understand what's going on Sometimes when we do IVF and we see how eggs and sperm interact in a lab, uh, lab scenario, we get a lot of information for patients in, in that category um, that can sometimes help us solve the mystery. But uh, there's still, in, in this area of medicine, as in many areas of medicine, there is still a lot that um, is yet to be fully comprehended and there still is a big subset of women and men with unexplained infertility. And, and that's really what you, you might use these kind of uncertain and empirical type treatments for when we're we not necessarily treating something that we know to be there, but we're hypothesising what could we possibly do to make a difference in this couple where all the conventional wisdoms have to date failed. And
0: they're probably a bit older as well. Would that have something to do with it, being yeah, older?
1: Not necessarily, actually. Not necessarily, actually. When one one obvious reason for recurrent IVF, IVF implantation failure where embryos are put back and and don't work are abnormal embryos, so embryos with, you know, obviously wrong chromosomes, wrong, wrong genetics. And those embryos are much more likely to occur in patients who are older, specifically women who are older with older eggs. But that is something we can test for. So you know, we really wouldn't call it implantation failure if we had tested and found abnormal embryos. And in fact, we wouldn't be putting those abnormal embryos back. So we really call it implantation failure or current implantation failure when we're putting good quality embryos back and they're not taking. Yeah,
0: there's no, re- there's no reason that you know of. Yeah. You've mentioned that there's a paper or a couple of papers that have been published. Maybe you want to talk us through them a little bit?
1: Well, look, the, the most recent papers that have been published on the subject, the big randomised controlled trials, um, there's one in the British Medical Journal, um, which can be Googled, and there's another in the New England Journal of Medicine. And, um, you know, those are really the the sentinel papers to look at. And together, when you add those two papers to the evidence, um, it really does skew the evidence away from...
0: And it sounds more like it becomes an unnecessary procedure. Yeah.
1: So what we do with with what we call meta-analysis is putting all like joining the dots, putting all the known facts together and these two trials coming out together, um, you know, kind of really do skew the the sum total of the existing evidence away from endometrial scratch. Is this is this a procedure that, um, I know
0: you said you don't do it except, you know, there's been some research on it or there's a situation where the patient might benefit from it, but is this a procedure that might just be done that you don't know about?
1: No, it wouldn't be done without, without your consent and without it being discussed with you as a patient. I still have, you know, you know, I wouldn't say I'd never do it. I, I still think that the jury is to some degree out on the recurrent implantation failure subset. Even though there wasn't a clear difference in this trial, it wasn't looking at women who had failed IVF again and again and again. And I suppose that's the weakness of this trial, but it was a large trial. I think certainly the sun is set on endometrial scratch as a routine procedure in, in IVF for all comers. Um, you know, anecdotally in my practice, when I've had patients who've had several embryos that haven't worked and so I haven't really understood why every other test has been done and has been, you know, kind of really robustly investigated without success. And then I've suggested a hysteroscopy. You know, I have patients who have, you know, anecdotally many patients who've fallen pregnant after a hysteroscopy as have many fertility specialists. Uh, I just don't think necessarily the mechanism is endometrial injury in itself. So as a standalone effect, we we don't really understand what the mechanism is, but certainly that as a standalone effect may not be how the procedure is working. Um, Or it may be that rather than a scratch, a thorough clean out might be the which is what we do at Hysteroscopy, might be the thing that really helps. And maybe a scratch is in itself, maybe the idea is, is okay, but the scratch in itself maybe is wasn't, what wasn't, was, was, or was. Or wasn't significant enough. Um, but certainly, you know, for it, for to do a, a little pipel or a little scratch procedure during a cycle, I think, you know, I really don't think the evidence, that as we know it now, supports that practice.
0: You've mentioned that sometimes patients come asking... For this procedure, so it's something they've read about, they've heard about, they think, oh, maybe this will fix everything for me. How how do you respond? How do you handle their request?
1: Look, it's difficult because you know we, I guess, our my the generation past of doctors probably lived in a world where patients and doctors had a, a relationship that, um, you know, I guess. Or just you know it was the f- was the main point of information gathering for the patient, yeah. whereas now there's there's kind of the patient, the doctor, and Google. Um, so a lot of patients, and also I, I suppose we're much more open as a generation and we speak to our friends more about what's going on, and we might have friends going through similar experiences, sometimes under the care of different clinicians who have different. Um, philosophies and principles in terms of going through these um, attitudes towards unproven and alternative measures. Um, So, look, I I try and speak very frankly and transparently and honestly with my patients. I say, I know you've heard about this technique and that it's practised in some circumstances. It's
0: good to be informed.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's good to be informed. And I explain that there has been a, a, an about, a certain amount of evidence that has suggested a benefit for a subset of, of patients undertaking IVF. And then I suppose it's about counselling the patient that there is some doubt as to whether the technique is helpful and certainly explaining that that the the benefit of the technique certainly hasn't been demonstrated in unselected IVF patients or patients who've gone through, you know, kind of, what I would consider to be, you know, kind of IVF failure that may be due to chance alone. I mean, we've got to remember not every egg can be a baby, not every embryo can be a baby. And certainly when we're talking about even the the very best quality embryos, the high quality genetically tested normal embryos, their chance of making a baby is at best about 50%, not 100%. So we expect that... Patients going through IVF will have ups and downs, and we'll have cycles that are unsuccessful. It's kind of part of the process because it's part of our biology, and we really can only normalize things, we can't supercharge them. And in normal, kind of fertile couples, not every embryo can be a baby. So, it's about really explaining a patient situation and the technique in context to that situation, explaining what the existing evidence shows, explaining the technique and what's involved, the various ways of performing a scratch or a hysteroscopy or a clean-out and um, really, you know, kind of making sure that the um, benefits and disadvantages are explained clearly and um, if a patient chooses to undertake... Um, a procedure or, or ask to undertake a procedure, which, although uncomfortable, is a relatively safe procedure, um, you know, I would support them. But I would, you know, support them in the context of understanding the evidence and, and understanding that it may or may not be a, of, of assistance.
0: OK. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Knocked Up, the podcast about getting pregnant. For more information about Raelia, Women's Health Melbourne and how to get pregnant, please visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au or find us on the socials under Women's Health Melbourne or you can send an email with any future episode requests to podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. See you next week.